This morning, after about 13 months of studying the book of Ephesians, we're moving into a new book of study for the next, we'll probably be here for almost all of 2020, but we take what we call an expository or sequential approach to Scripture. And what that means is that we begin at the very beginning of a book of the Bible, and we just work our way all the way through it, and we try to put it in its proper historical and grammatical context to make sure that we get out of it everything that the Holy Spirit had intended when He inspired it. And so after 13 months, what we say, 45 messages, I think, from the book of Ephesians, we have now made it to the book of James, and I'm looking forward to some exciting stuff here in the book of James. And I am excited to see what the year 2020 holds for us here at Root River Church. Do you know that? I think God has some great things in store for us, but I want you to know that I'm not only excited to see what God is going to do corporately as a church body, but I'm also excited to see what the year 2020 holds for each of your families. And I'm excited, to be perfectly honest with you, if I could be a little bit self-focused here this morning, I'm excited to see what God has for my family in 2020. And I'm looking forward to what this new year is going to bring and what the future holds for our family, both my personal family and our church family. But over the last several months, I want you to know that I've felt my heart being challenged. I've just been pricked in my heart. I've done, is pretty common for me, I just ignored it. Does anybody else do that? You feel the prompting in your heart and you just sometimes maybe ignore it or push it back and you think to yourself, well, maybe if I ignore it, it'll go away. Have you ever done that? I know I'm not the only one that does that. Okay. And so that's what I've done. I have to tell you that uh, many times I've thought to myself, well, my life is too busy. I'm just going to put this off and I'm going to move on. And I'm going to keep doing things the way that I always have because I don't have room to add more to my life. And so as, as I've already told you, we all went down to, my family and I went down to Missouri last week, and one thing that we, we like to do when we're there visiting with my family is that we always make it a point to go to church together. And so my brothers and my sister, my mom and my dad, and of course my family, we'll all go to, we usually make a point of attending James River Church when we're down there. And so we did that this Sunday, and I just have to tell you that as Pastor John shared the Word of God last Sunday morning, I felt just such a deep penetration in my heart by the Holy Spirit through the words that he spoke through Pastor John that morning. And as Beth and I finally got a few moments to talk about it, it was interesting because she said to me, you know, it seems like every time we come down here, God brings a word that is intended specifically for us. Isn't that how it feels? And that's how it was. And so we walked away from service last Sunday feeling like God had spoken a word that he waited for us to attend that church and then just hit us with it last Sunday. So that's what happened. So this morning as we make our way through an introduction of the book of James, I'd, I'd like to relay to you, if you don't mind, some instruction that really impacted me last Sunday and some instruction that we received from Pastor John as we were in church down in Missouri. And I want you to know that I think that 2020 is going to be a defining year for us. I believe that 2020 is going to be a defining year for us and for each person in this room this morning. And it is my prayer that as we make our way through the book of James in the coming months and through the year of 2020, that your hearts will be profoundly impacted and that your lives might be forever changed to the glory of God. And that's my prayer for you as we go through the book of James this year. Kids, I want you to know that here's the first answer. Make sure that you write this one down, okay? Here we go. The book of Acts serves as a history book of the New Testament. It's really important for you to know this. I'm going to tell you why. Because it begins with the ascension of Jesus Christ, does the book of Acts, as he ascends into heaven in chapter 1, and then it follows the life of the church through its infancy. 
Now in chapter 1, as Jesus was about to return to heaven, he told his disciples that they would soon be filled with the Holy Spirit. You all remember the story. And you'll remember that we had learned in the book of John that as long as Jesus was on the earth with them, the Holy Spirit would not come. He said, it would be better for you that I go away, because when I go away, then I can send alos parakletos. I can send to you another comforter who is just like me. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And so after Jesus then had ascended to heaven, after he had made his way up into the sky, the disciples returned to Jerusalem that day, and there they waited for the filling of the Holy Spirit to come. And just as you might expect, just as promised, he came and the Holy Spirit filled all the people who were in the upper room of that house in Jerusalem at the time. You know the story. And I want you to see what happened on that occasion. But before I take you to Acts chapter 2, before we do that, I want to take a step back a few weeks. And what I want to do is I want to take you back 50 days prior to the day of Pentecost, at which time the Holy Spirit came on these people. 50 days prior to the day of Pentecost was the Jewish celebration of Passover. Now, it was at that Passover, 50 days prior to this, that Jesus was murdered. And over the many centuries, because of the exile in Babylon and because of the conquest of several other rulers and and crazy people such as Antiochus Epiphanes, Jews had been scattered from the land of Palestine all over the various countries all over the known world. Jewish custom required of the faithful Jews that those who lived outside the land of Palestine that they make a journey back to Jerusalem every year to celebrate the Passover at the temple of Jerusalem. That was custom. That was tradition. That's what they did. But you see, they lived normal lives far away from Jerusalem. Those who had made their ways outside of Judea were just living normal lives in whatever land they were in. So now I want you to follow along with me here in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read the first six verses. So here we go. This is what it says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. I just want to say here that it is best here to call this languages and you'll see why in a moment. So they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, let's go to verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Let's just stop there for a minute. Why were those devout men from every nation under heaven there in Jerusalem? Why were they there? Well, it was because they were required, as I said, by Jewish tradition to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. So what happened is all of these people, all of these pilgrims made their way to Jerusalem for the feast and for the festival. And because they were required to be there, they all came for Passover. And what they decided is because it's such a long trip and because this next festival, the the day of Pentecost is only 50 days later, rather than going home, let's just stay here in Jerusalem for the next 50 days. We'll celebrate Pentecost together and then we'll head back to our home countries. And that's what they did almost every year. And so they would live with other Jews, they would, they would live with other family members, and the population of the city of Jerusalem would swell sometimes to as many as one to two million people during that time of year. Now, verse six, at this sound, the multitude came together, okay? And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So do you see what happens? Now, these Jews who are living abroad have gathered together, they hear the 
commotion. They go to the house where all of the things are happening, and they hear each of these people, all of these Galileans, all of these untrained men standing around speaking the wonders of God, declaring the greatness of God in their own native language that they speak back home. And they're thinking, man, something crazy is going on here. And so now we've sufficiently captured their attention. The Holy Spirit has sufficiently gotten their attention so that they will listen. And what happens? Peter immediately stands up and he begins to preach a sermon. And I just love this sermon because in verse 41, it tells us that his sermon was so powerful that 3,000 men were added to the church that day. 3,000 men. I have never preached a sermon. (laughs) I'm just going to leave it right there. (laughs) So if you think about this now, that's 3,000 men. If we were to include women, do you know that that would probably be as many as five or 6,000 people that were added to the church that one day? Five to 6,000 people were added. So the church at this point could number as many as five or 6,000. I mean, it's big and there's a lot going on. Now I want to spring forward to Acts chapter 4. And what you're going to find is that there, there is another 5,000 men who were added. So what that means is now the church is somewhere around 15,000 people in Jerusalem. The church was just exploding. Everybody was believing the truth of Jesus Christ, and the church was just growing exponentially. It was crazy. And by chapter 5, the leaders of the traditional Jewish system were so upset, those who had not yet been converted to Christianity were infuriated, and they told Peter, you have filled Jerusalem, you have filled the entire city of Jerusalem with your teaching, do you see? It was powerful. It was exploding, and everybody knew what was going on. Everybody knew about these Christians. In fact, they were getting to be a little bit of a problem because people were beginning to believe in them. So the church in Jerusalem is huge, and at this point there really is no defined structure. There's no defined leadership. It's just a big church full of a lot of people. And so the Jewish leaders who are in charge of the old system want it to stop because it's out of control. They have no control of it. These people are believing in the Christ that they crucified. And so they begin then, the the religious leaders then begin to pursue the people of the church. They begin to pursue the believers who are in the area at that time. And in fact, by Acts chapter 7, the very first martyr, the very first Christian man is murdered and his name was Stephen. Do you remember that? He was murdered by the Jewish leaders. And do you know that there was a man named Saul who was in charge of the whole thing? He stood there supervising it as Stephen was murdered. And in chapter 8 of the book of Acts... The pressure then is really ramped up. The pressure is really ratcheted up. And this guy, Saul, who oversaw the murder of Stephen, he begins to persecute everybody who claims to be a Christian. And he begins to imprison any of those that he can get his hands on. And so now all of these people who have come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and the day of Pentecost from all over the world, who have now come to a place of faith in Jesus Christ, are being chased by this guy named Saul. Do you see what's happening? So the city is filled with believers, 15,000 of them, and Saul is trying to capture them so that he can persecute them. And what do you think they do? They leave. They take off. And now they all go back to their hometowns, and some of them go to completely new places altogether. And now there are real, genuine Christian believers who are scattered all across the Mediterranean world. Do you see what happened? Do you think that's what Saul intended when he began to persecute the church? Now we've got real believers who are scattered all over everywhere, but the problem is there's no structure. There's no leadership. There's just people. So soon, Saul, the very guy who's been persecuting this church, is converted. 
And he himself becomes a Christian. And he changes his name to Paul, and that's how you know him today. Kids, before Paul was saved, I want you to know that he opposed God. Before Paul was saved, he opposed God. And then he became an apostle, and he was ministering to the people who were non-Jews in areas far away from Jerusalem, and he was ministering to all of these Gentiles, and he began to convert even more people, and he began to plant more churches. And the next thing you know, now this Christianity, this way, as they call it, is just exploding not only in Jerusalem, but all over the known world. It's crazy. There are churches popping up everywhere, and there's still no leadership. And there's still no structure really to speak of. Well, by Acts chapter 15, the church has realized we need to have some structure. And so by Acts chapter 15, it's begun to develop a little bit of that leadership. And it now has a church council in Jerusalem that has met. And the person presiding over the council is a man named James. Do you see? A man named James. Now, in the New Testament, I want you to know that we find four people named James And I want us to understand which one of these it is. There are four people named James. There's the James who is the son of Alphaeus, who is one of the twelve disciples. We really don't know a lot about James, the son of Alphaeus. We just know that he's one of the disciples. He never really was a leader of the group of disciples, and so he probably wouldn't have stepped into a leadership role over Peter and John after Jesus had died. Really, the only thing we know about him was that he's very likely the brother of Matthew. So I don't believe he's the James we're talking about. There's another James, and this James is the father of Judas. He's not the father of Judas Iscariot. He's the father of the more obscure Judas. So this James is even more obscure, isn't he? He's not the James that any of you would probably know about. You probably never have heard of him spoken of before. We know even less about him than we do any of the other Jameses in the Bible. So I don't think that he probably would have risen to a place of leadership. Thirdly, there's a James who is the brother of John. Do you remember that one? James and John, they used to call them Boanerges, the sons of thunder. That was them. They were really out front. They were leaders. They were high energy. They were charged men. And they were certainly capable of leading. Both of them were. But the problem with that James is that he was beheaded in Acts chapter 12. Makes it kind of tough for him to lead the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. So it couldn't have been him. So he wasn't there. Now, I want to introduce you to one more man named James. And this book was probably written sometime between 45 and 50 AD. And this James is the only one who I think could possibly have done it. And rather than introduce you to him, I think I'd like to allow Paul to introduce him to you. Is that okay? Let me tell you what I mean. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul is telling the Galatian church the story of his conversion. And he says that after he was converted to Christianity, he spent three years in the wilderness. And we know that that is Nabataean Arabia in that area somewhere. And this is what he says then in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 18. Read along with me. He says this, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Peter, and I remained with him for 15 days. Great. So he hangs out with Peter for two weeks. I mean, that's awesome. That's a good thing to do if you're able to do that. But in verse 19, I saw none of the other apostles except for whom? James. And who is James? He's the Lord's brother. 
Do you see what's happening here? So James, the Lord's brother, is the James that I believe has written this book. And you will remember from the narrative that I read to you a couple of weeks ago that when Jesus came into this world, that his mother Mary was a virgin. We know that. We know that Jesus was the oldest son, and we know that he was born to Mary after she had not had any intimacy at all with Joseph. But after the birth of Jesus Christ, Mary went on with her husband Joseph, and they had many other children. Did you know that? In fact, we know that she had had four other boys and that she also had multiple girls. We don't know how many girls, but at least two. We know that. Now, the oldest boy, the one born after Jesus was named James. That's who he was. And I just find it really interesting because initially Jesus' siblings did not believe in him. So kids, here is James, who is Jesus' little brother, and he does not believe in Jesus. He doesn't believe in him. He was no exception. None of the people in his family believed in him. He did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but he knew that Jesus had been executed. He had seen it. He had heard the reports from his mother. He knew that Jesus had been crucified. And after his death, Jesus was resurrected. We all know that. We know that Jesus made his way around and presented himself to many people after he was resurrected. And one of the people that Jesus visited in his resurrected form was his little brother, James. And we find that account in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. So Jesus has come to his little brother, James. And at that point, James has become a believer. He saw the resurrected Christ. He saw the resurrected Jesus, knowing full well that he had been murdered and that he was literally, physically, historically dead. And he said, wow. Now it makes sense to me. My older brother actually is the Messiah. He actually is the Son of God. And at that point, he became a believer. Not only did he become a believer, he became a steadfast believer. And he was so strong a believer that he even led the many thousand strong First International Church of Jesus Christ. He became that James. He became the James who was the first leader of the Church of Jesus Christ. What do you think about that? Isn't he the kind of guy you want leading your church? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, think about that for a minute. That's the kind of guy you want leading your church, isn't he? I mean, can you imagine everyone gathered around every Sunday morning saying to James, so what was it like to be God's little brother? What was it like? Can you imagine that? I mean, tell us about the time he did this. Tell us about the time that he did that. That's the kind of guy you want leading your church. If you have a choice between me and God's little brother, I'm just going to tell you, take God's little brother. Don't you really want a guy who can say, you know, you should follow my direction. You should follow my instruction. You should listen to what I say to you. Because after all, I knew Jesus Christ personally. In fact, I shared a bed with him from the time we were toddlers. you imagine that? Can you imagine a pastor who can say, I had three meals a day with Jesus for 30 years. I know him pretty well. He's the one who taught me how to first tie my sandals. We used to do chores together. Jesus and I were together all the time. You need a guy like that who can establish his authority as the leader of your church, don't you? Let me show you how James, the brother of the living God and human flesh, introduces himself. I want to take you to James 1.1 now, and this is what he says. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Hello. Nice to meet you. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that an even better translation here is this. James, a slave of God and a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Big brothers, don't ever try that with your little brothers. 
But James says, I am a slave of my big brother. I am a slave of God and I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great picture of humility. Not James, the little brother of the living God incarnate. That's not how he introduced himself. He didn't introduce himself by saying, James, director of the first Christian church of Jerusalem. He did not introduce himself by saying, Father James. He did not call himself Bishop James. He did not call himself Pastor James. He just called himself James, a slave of God and a slave of Jesus Christ. That's who he was. If I could just take a moment and speak directly to the staff and the leadership here at Root River Church, I want you to hear me very clearly when I say this. That's what it takes to be a leader at Root River Church. You are not identified by your title. You are not identified because you are in a particular ministry. You are not identified because you are on the worship team. You are not identified because of your education. You are not identified because of your money. You are identified by your humility. You are first and foremost a slave to God and a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, you're a servant to the people of this assembly. You're a servant to the people of this church, and I want you to know that, and I want that to sink in to you. You're not one of exalted position. In fact, you're the opposite of that. If you're a leader, you're not exalted. You're a slave. You're lowly, and you're humble. Kids, ministry is never an opportunity to be exalted. It's a call to humility. Ministry is never an opportunity to be exalted. It's a call to humility. And so to whom did he write his letter? Look again at verse 1. It says this, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Well, that makes sense to us now, doesn't it? Because he's writing his letter to all of those Jewish people who had been there, who had been part of the church, who would become believers, and now they're scattered all over the known world because of the persecution that began in Acts 8. Now they're gone everywhere, and James is writing his letter to them. And it's going to be key information as we make our way through the book of James for you to remember that. It's important that you understand that. Because James was writing to these believing Jews. Listen closely. He was writing to these believing Jews to give them confidence and to give them hope and to give them strength to endure the trials that they were facing. He was writing to give them confidence in the face of struggle and in the face of trial. He wrote to them to give them a series of tests that they could use to determine whether or not their faith was genuine. For those of you who are visiting You may not know this, but everyone else would know that they've heard me say many times in the past that according to the instruction of 2 Corinthians 3.15, we here at Root River Church must do what? We must examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. We must test ourselves. Kids, did you hear that? You must examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. You must constantly be testing yourselves, and you must be digging deeply and looking closely at your lives. And I want you to know that that's what the book of James is all about. You see, when your faith is genuine, you need to know that there are certain principles that will be at work in your life. And so in the coming months, we're going to see 13 principles. We're going to see 13 different tests in these five chapters of the book of James. And it's my prayer that by the time we reach the end of the book of James, that you have a new confidence and that you have a new awareness of the authenticity and the genuineness of your faith. This is really important. Well, last week, Pastor John shared with us from the book of First Chronicles 4. And if I could just depart from my introduction to the book of James for the rest of our message this morning, if you would allow me to do that, I want to share with you something that I think will be easily relatable to your lives and to our study of the book of James. You see, it's there in verses 9 and 10 in First Chronicles 4 
that you read about the prayer of a man named Jabez. You've probably all heard of this. And as I listened, as I sat there listening to him, I was so challenged. And I found myself thinking, this is what I really want to see, not only for Root River Church in 2020, but this is really what I want to see for my own family. And I think this is what you want to see for your own families as well. So I want you to keep this in the front of your minds as we begin to study the book of James in 2020. And I'd like to show you what I believe the Lord would have for each of you. I'd like to show you this morning what I believe the Lord would have for your families. I would like to show you what I believe that the Lord would have for the church at Root River Church in 2020, if you'll allow me a few moments to do that. And it all begins in verse 9, and I'm going to show you what I mean. Take a look at First Chronicles 4 and verse 9 here. This is what it says. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, meaning I bore him in pain. So I want us to just key in on these first seven words if we can. And it says this, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Now at first glance when we read 1 Chronicles 4 here, first of all you need to know that we're in the middle of a rather lengthy lineage in which the author is walking us through this big long family tree. There's really not a lot of fun stuff in 1 Chronicles 4, I'm not going to lie to you. It's this person had this child, this child had this child, and it goes on and on and on. But right there as the author gets to Jabez, he pauses and he says Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And that was what stuck with the author when he was speaking about Jabez. This generation had this generation, that generation had that generation, and then there was Jabez who was more honorable than all of his brothers. And when you think about this word honorable, I think in this context our tendency may be to think of Jabez as somebody who was better, or maybe he was more righteous. Isn't that what comes to your mind when you think he was more honorable? But I want you to know that as I studied this yesterday, I found that that's probably not the best way to translate this. I think in this case the best way for us to think of it is more numerous, more weighty, more significant. And now I want us to plug that into this verse. And this is what it says. Jabez was more numerous than his brothers. Why was Jabez more numerous than his brothers? We'll take a look at verse 10. And Jabez called on the God of Israel. First, my friends, he was more significant. He was more numerous because he called on the God of Israel. Do you know what that means? Jabez prayed. Jabez prayed. And as we get into the book of James, you are going to find that one thing that believers do is that they pray. Believers pray. It's a test of the authenticity of your faith. For believers, prayer is a very natural response to the regenerating work of God in our lives. And if you are a believer, then you will pray. It's one of the proofs that your faith is real. It's a proof that your faith is genuine. If you've been saved, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to pray. You just are going to do that. You show me true faith and I'll show you someone who knows how to pray. It's the believer's link with God. It's his link with God. We are dependent on God and we make that connection through prayer. The very presence of the Holy Spirit in your lives will cause you to pray. It just does. No one needs to remind you. You should probably do it a lot more than you actually do it. I think that's probably true. I think we should probably do it a lot more than we do. But prayer is just a part of our lives. And I can remember, Juan, you will remember this. We've talked about it before. When we first considered planting Root River Church, we took a piece of freezer paper and we drew out a monthly calendar on that piece of paper. And we hung it on my living room wall. And all of you who were part of the planting team 
all of you who were a part of that, got up and wrote your names on that piece of paper as a commitment to pray and to fast on a particular day of the month. And we filled that entire paper with prayer and fasting. Every single day we had somebody praying and fasting. Every single day. And we were praying and we were fasting that God would fill us with His vision. We prayed and we fasted that God would fill us with a passion for the city of Franklin. We fasted and we prayed that God would show us favor and that He would give us a greater capacity to be an influence for Him. That's what we were praying about. We prayed that we'd have a greater ability to honor Him. And we did that for several months in a row. But at some point along the way, a piece of freezer paper came off my wall and we've never gone back to it. At some point along the way, we lost it. And do you know why? Because we actually planted the church. And we became so busy with planting the church, we became so busy with doing ministry, that we just lost track of it. I mean, certainly we continued to pray, but can I just tell you that it just wasn't something that we made such a great priority that it hung in the wall where we could see it every time we walked in the house. It wasn't something that we kept always before our eyes for everyone to see every time they walked into the room to know that we are fasting and we are praying for the favor of God. Friends, listen, I want you to know that I love the Lord and I want you to know that I do serve Him. But if I'm being honest with you, I have to confess to you this morning that in my own spiritual life, I've not been in a place in recent times in which my heart's passion has been prayer and fasting. Just being perfectly honest with you. Being perfectly transparent with you right now. And the Lord has been challenging me with that for several months now. And you know what I did? I said, maybe if I ignore it, it'll go away. And so I pushed it back. And it never really hit pay dirt in my heart until a couple weeks ago as I stood up here sharing a message with you about the second advent of Jesus Christ. Do you remember that message? Do you remember what we learned? My heart was challenged that I was allowing myself to become the man of Luke 21.34 whose heart was so distracted by the cares of this life, that I was missing God's intent and I was missing God's purpose for me. I'm not occupied with drunkenness and dissipation and those kinds of things. But you know what I am occupied with? I'm occupied with life. And I'm occupied with the cares of this world. I'm just busy, just like you. Not a single one of you would say I'm not busy. Work is demanding a lot of my time. When I get off of work, I have kids who have to be run here or run there. I'm busy with church ministry. All of those cares and all of those worries, or maybe I should say better said, all of those new priorities are taking their place and prayer is just getting pushed out. You see, it's no longer in the front of my mind unless I have a significant problem. And then all of a sudden I go to God's throne room. But aside from that, it's no longer in the front of my mind. And I wonder how many of you who are sitting here right now would say, Scott, that perfectly sums up where I am in my spiritual life. If you're like me, you've been neglecting that area of your life. And you need to know that it is proof of spiritual life. And I want you to know that I, just like Jabez, need to get in a place where I am passionately calling on the God of Israel. And I want you to know that all of you need to get into a place where you are passionately and constantly calling on the God of Israel. God, I confess to you that I have been missing the mark with my prayer life. God, I ask that you would forgive me and in 2020 fill my heart with a new passion to call on the God of Israel. I ask that you will make my family a family whose passion it is to call on the God of Israel. God, let Root River Church be a church who calls constantly day in and 
and day out on the God of Israel. Let us be a people of passionate prayer. Let us be a people who incessantly and desperately calls on the God of Israel. Let our hearts burn in 2020 with a passion for your presence. In 2020, I'm committing myself to pray. In 2020, Harms family, I'm committing you to pray. I'm committing myself to lead you. Kids, in 2020, we will commit ourselves to pray. And I'd like to go to the second part of verse 10 if I can. And I want to show you what he says. He says, oh, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. Now listen, Jabez prayed that he would be kept from evil. Do you see this? He prayed that he would live a righteous life. Many of the tests that we're going to consider in the book of James are related to this very issue, righteous living. It's super important that we get this. In the book of Ephesians, we learn that we have to behave in a way that is consistent with our position in Christ. Isn't that what we learned? John the Baptist told the religious leaders, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And I want you to know that James is going to tell Root River Church the very same thing. He says that those people who have genuine faith will produce righteous works. If you have truly been changed, if you have truly been saved, then your patterns of behavior and your patterns of living will be different than they used to be. You will not be living the same way. It is the change in your behavioral patterns. It is the holiness and the purity of your new lifestyle that makes the message that you claim to believe believable. If a known drunk tells me that he's been rehabilitated and is no longer an alcoholic, but every time I see him he's been drinking, do you think that I'm going to believe his claim to sobriety? Translate that to your own lives. Of course I'm not. But now listen to me. In the same way, when a person claims to believe Jesus Christ, when a person claims to have been set free from the rule of sin and to have been made right before God, and he continues to live a lifestyle of unbroken sinful patterns, and his conduct and his language make him virtually indistinguishable from unbelievers, who would believe his testimony? Righteous behavior, righteous works are proof that you have been transformed and that your, that your faith is genuine. Do you see? My prayer is that my life bears fruit in keeping with repentance. It's my prayer that when people look at me in 2020, they see a life that has been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as made evident by a holy lifestyle. Do you see what I'm saying? I want to weed out the ungodly habits. I want to weed out the ungodly attitudes in my life. I want people to be able to look at me and see the righteousness of Jesus Christ alive and active in my life. And that's my prayer for my family, and that's my prayer for you here at Root River Church in 2020. Listen, friends, it is time for us to stop living like the rest of the world. It is time for the believers in this room right now to stop participating in sinful behaviors. You know that it's wrong. You know what you're doing is not acceptable to God. Cut it out. Why are you doing it? Stop participating in the things that you know to be sinful. Get out of ungodly relationships. Get out of the ungodly relationships that you're investing in. Get out of the ungodly habits and the ungodly activities. Quit hanging out with the people that encourage you to do things that don't honor God. Get out of those situations. Stop depriving yourselves of God's blessing. Live a holy and righteous life. God, make us a people whose conduct, make us a people whose language, whose private moments are filled with purity and not filth. God, help us. Never to add your name to cluttered lives filled with sin and wickedness and then just hang your name around our neck and tell people we're believers although we live sinful and wicked lives. Keep us from evil. That's my prayer. 
Keep us from evil that we may never bring reproach on you and your kingdom. And I think, friends, that that's what God wants from you in 2020. In fact, I'm pretty sure of that. I believe that He wants this to be a time of purification. Kids, I'm just going to put this as simply as I can. Parents, you might even want to write this down too. In 2020, God wants you to stop doing bad things. I'd like to take you back to 1 Chronicles 4. This is what it says. And Jabez called on the Lord of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. The righteous Jabez asked God to give him a larger circle of influence. Isn't that a great prayer when you think about that? Give me a greater capacity to influence people and bring glory to your name, God. Let me bring more glory to your kingdom. Would you like the opportunity, friends? Would you like the opportunity to share the hope of Jesus Christ with more people in 2020? Would you like to do that? Would you like the opportunity to share the hope of Jesus Christ with your family and friends who don't know him? That's my prayer for this church in 2020, that he would give us a greater ability to influence people for his kingdom. It's my prayer that he would give us a more fruitful harvest. It's my prayer that those of you who have unsaved family, who have unsaved friends, who have unsaved co-workers in your lives would see people delivered from the power of sin in their lives. It's my prayer that God would use you and that God would bless you to enlarge his kingdom and to bring more souls to a place of right standing because of your witness. James tells us in chapter 4 that people who ask for the wrong things can't expect God to give them what they ask for. But in chapter 5, he tells us in verse 16 that the prayer of a righteous person has great power. Do you see this? I believe that in 2020, if we'll commit ourselves to prayer and fasting... I believe that if we will commit ourselves to confessing and turning from ungodly behaviors, I believe that if we will commit ourselves to righteous living, our prayers will be powerful and they will be effective. And I believe that the right prayer for those of you here at Root River Church in 2020 is that God would bring us to an even higher level of spiritual purity. I believe that the right prayer is that God would give us the greater capacity to bring glory to his name and to bring glory to his kingdom. I believe that the right prayer for this church in 2020 is that he would give us a greater ability to influence people for his kingdom. If we look at the last part of verse 10, 1 Chronicles 4, it says this, so God granted him what he requested. Did you see this? God granted him what he requested. Friends, Jabez's prayer was powerful and it was effective, wasn't it? Do you know why? He had great power because he was righteous, because he was pure, and because he was calling on the God of Israel. And God made him more numerous than his brothers. That's what the word teaches us. And I pray that in 2020, God would bless you and your families. I pray that where there is turmoil and strife, that your families will make God a priority and that there will be prayer and that there will be righteous behavior in your lives. And I pray that as a result, your lives will be filled with peace and that they will be filled with joy so that you realize a greater capacity to bring glory to God in 2020. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for Root River Church. It's my prayer that we'll be filled with a passion for prayer and for pure and holy living. I pray that He'll give us a greater capacity to bring glory and honor to Him. Now, friends, listen to me. If you haven't heard anything I've said, listen to this. I believe that to whatever extent you are willing to purify yourselves, I believe that to whatever extent you are willing to eliminate the ungodly behavior from your lives, to whatever extent you are willing to commit yourselves to prayer and fasting in 2020, to that same extent, God will pour out blessing on your lives and on your families. I believe to that same extent He will bless you with a greater capacity to influence the people that you love and the people that you care about for His kingdom. I believe, kids, in 2020 that God wants to bless you. I truly believe that. 
And if we as a church body will commit ourselves to pure and righteous conduct and to prayer and fasting, I believe that God will give us a greater capacity to influence the people of the communities of Franklin, Hales Corners, Greendale, Greenfield, and Milwaukee. So in 2020, as we make our way through the book of James, that's the challenge that I'm going to give to you over and over and over again. Thirteen times you're going to hear it. God, let 2020 for Root River Church be a year of prayer and of purification and God's unimaginable blessing. Father, I thank You so much for the kind attention of Your sweet people. Lord, I thank You for the challenge of Your Word. I thank You that Your Word cuts deeply. And I just pray, Lord, that right now You would cut to the hearts of everybody in this room. Let them be challenged with their own personal spiritual lives. Let them be challenged with their own lives of prayer. Let them be challenged by their own purity or lack of purity. Lord, I pray where there is conduct that does not honor You, that You will bring conviction and that those lives will be changed and that they will be empowered to stop doing the things that don't please You. God, I pray where there is prayerlessness that You will fill those hours with prayer and a passion for the Word of God. Lord, I pray where there is no prayer and no hope for the lost that You would bring compassion-filled hearts to pray and to mourn and to weep over those people who are going to spend an eternity in hell. That our lives would be compassionate. That our hearts would be filled with prayer for those people. And Lord, I pray that You would give us a greater capacity to reach them. Lord, I just pray for Root River Church that in 2020, Your name will be lifted high and that your kingdom will receive glory. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name.